Hey everyone, welcome back to Citywide Blackout, your home for music, movies, and more. I'm your host, Max Bowen. In this episode, I'm talking with rapper-producer Deshaun White for his new single, Control, a tribute to the upcoming movie, Spider-Man, No Way Home. We talk all about the song's origins, the message it shares, and what was new for Deshaun, including having to get into character. We dive deep into the start of Deshaun's career, beginning at 12 years old, We talk about the profound experience that led him to rapping about faith in 2011, continuing in 2015 with the album Before the Ceiling Falls. Next year, he releases his new album based on a true story, and this one sums up his entire life, the good and the bad. We look at the stories he shares and where he goes from here, and the answer is pretty interesting. Joining me now, folks, I am so... So excited about this. I've been digging through all of his music. He's got some amazing content and a brand new single out coinciding with the release of Spider-Man No Way Home. Rapper, producer Deshaun White joins me. Deshaun, welcome to the show, man. I am so glad we're doing this. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. Oh. Uh, I haven't been doing a lot of interviews lately, so I, I might be a little rusty and uh, fumble around a little bit, but give me some grace. But thanks for having me. Of course. Hey, totally okay, man. I uh, fumble around quite a bit myself, so it is uh, just the conversation flows. So let's dive right into your recently released single, Control. This is written as a tribute for Spider-Man No Way Home in theaters December 17th. Uh, what happened that you want to do this? Because like listening to the rest of your music, it seems like this is the first time you've done a song coinciding with a movie release. It is, man. First off, I'm I'm a big Spider-Man fan, huge nerd uh, when it pertains to that, all the way back um, since I was a kid. Uh, so I had an agreement uh, management deal a while back, and I got gotten like really deep into writing music and writing content uh, for sync licensing for movies and such. And I had gotten a tip that the new Spider-Man movie was going to be released in December like a year and a half ago. So um, I started like getting a little information from from sources um, that was kind of giving me a little idea of the tempo, not really too many clues that I could give away, but the idea that the overall, uh, this movie was going to be a little darker, if you will. There was going to be a struggle, a power struggle. So I, I approached writing the song basically um, from that perspective. So when I started writing, I was like, okay, we're going to talk about this battle between good, light, and darkness. And spy- I knew that Spider-Man was going to be dealing with the- something that was very heavy on his soul, way more than uh, the typical Spider-Man movies, at least from the new series of Spider-Man uh, movies. So I-, I-, I went from that perspective, and that's how I wrote the song. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm definitely hearing like the passion and the struggle in the movie. It's a very, I guess I would describe it as a very like brave song because it's about like standing together, standing uh, against a really like overpowering force. And of course, in this movie, Spider Man has to fight basically. I think it's like like six villains from. And this is all in the trailer. There's no spoilers, folks. He is trying to kind of remake reality so folks forget he's Spider Man. And in doing so, screws up because it's Spider-Man, you know? Of course, there's going to be some kind of kerfuffle. 
Um, he breaches the multiverse and has to fight villains from the other Spider-Man franchises. And personally, when when uh, when I saw um, Alfred Molina as Doctor Octopus again, I'm not gonna lie, I screamed a bit. I was so psyched, like, oh my god, it's <laughs> Alfred Molina! He's back! He's Doc Ock again! This is so cool! It was kind of sad though. They they recently interviewed him uh, a couple days ago, and they were asking him about his excitement and you know, coming back to the movie and what he thought about it. And he straight up said, well, for me, it's all about the money. And I was like, no, I mean, I get it. I mean, you work as an artist to, to make money, but like to, something so sacred, like you would, you would hope that the statement as to why you're doing the movies, not, oh, it's just about the money. So that was kind of like, eh, it made me cringe a little bit. However, uh, I hope he kills it. We will actually be doing a pre-screening of the movie uh, this Wednesday, uh, Wednesday, June, December 15th. So we'll be pre-screening it. So we'll kind of get to see it before it releases the theaters. It's going to be a pretty cool little time with some business partners, some investors. Uh, so I-, I won't put any spoilers out there, though. So don't worry about it. Yeah. It'll be all right. <laughs> Not going to lie, I am so jealous because I really enjoy the new iteration of Spider-Man. I mean, I think each one has its own strengths, but I felt like the new one, I felt that it's probably the most like honest depiction of Spider-Man, not just in terms of Spider-Man, but in terms of Peter Parker, you know, the awkwardness, the gawkiness. I thought this is, I thought they really nailed it with this one, Um, not only from these movies, but also from his appearance in... um, um, Captain America, Civil War, and others. Agreed, man. I, I would agree 100%. A lot of people would want to fight you for that. I, I've heard a lot of people say that Tom Holland is the worst spider. I'm like, dude, like, no, no, like, what you got to understand is that e- Toby, uh, Andrew, uh, they all brought something to, to the table, and there was something special about each one of them. And I, Frankly, I don't think anyone is better than the other as far as acting and playing their role. They they all play the role they're supposed to play perfectly, and it's communicating exactly what needs to be communicated. So, I, I, to to echo what you said, I, I think Tom is killing it as the new Spider Man, and I, I love it. He absolutely is, and I, I definitely agree with you. Also, that you know they've all brought something different. Like uh, Tobey Maguire, I think had a strong sense of. Um, uh, maturity, uh, almost like adult Spider-Man. He gave us that kind of bridge between when he was younger and when, and when he got older and had yeah. a lot more responsibility. Andrew Garfield was a little more like punk rock kind of Spider-Man, a little more grunge. Um, didn't seem yeah, a nerd yeah. at all, actually. It seemed like this guy probably has like no issues with bullies or whatever because it seems like he's just one of the cool kids in class. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then Tom <laughs> is giving us the very like honest, vulnerable Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Yeah, I, I love it. So... Definitely psyched about the movie again, folks. December 17th. Definitely check it out. I'll be there, certainly. You get to get, though, the inside scoop. So along with the pre-screening, do you get to meet any of the folks behind it? Uh, no. Actually, this was everything that's been done has, has been remote. I've been working with Sony. As you know, Sony and Marvel kind of have their little deal going on with the Spider-Man Um Yeah, I've been working with Sony uh, to have this party and you know, to kind of stay on the inside of, of different things about events and stuff that's coming up. Almost got in a little trouble uh, when we submitted our song. I, if, if you listen hard enough, 
you might just hear something. Uh, you might just hear something if you listen hard enough to the song. Uh, I, I'm trying not to pull a Tom Holland and spoil anything, but yeah, it's it's um it's been cool. It's been interesting. It's it's I've never worked uh, with a company on this level to have an event like this, so everything's like straight up. Lockdown, lock and key. Don't do this. You can't promote it like this. It's it's been crazy. So oh, I'm yeah. sure that there is so much they've been like, you know, don't tweet this, don't put this on Insta. I don't want to see anything on Facebook. Yep. You know, I'm sure there's all kinds of like rules that that, that you I gotta follow. But you get to see it two days before everyone else, so that's pretty special. Yeah, even for the pre screen, it was like I had to I had to market the song. Like it had to be, it couldn't, we couldn't openly say, well, we weren't supposed to. This was another thing that almost got me in trouble because I, I didn't realize that I couldn't announce that we were seeing the pre-screening publicly. So I blasted that out. Like I, it was, it's a private screening. The screening's private, but I publicly told people that I would be screening it on the 15th. And it was just like, no, you can't do that. This has to be all private. You can market the fact that you have a song that's uh, a tribute song, but you can't even really announce that there's going to be a screening. Uh, and it was just like, oh, whoa. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, yeah, man, we're, we're actually working through that right now. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's definitely not a good thing when you uh, get a call and the voice says, so this is so-and-so. I'm uh, the attorney for Sony or Marvel. <laughs> no, it, it was more like an email that said, so this is a private event, right? We need to put our heads at Sony at ease. So this is private. They they really wanted to make sure we, A, weren't going to sell any tickets, that it was a confidential type of event, that we weren't going to be idiots and go tweet about the movie before anybody sees it, which rightfully so, because they've worked so hard to keep it under wraps. I mean, dude, the final trailer doesn't even come out till Wednesday when we're going to be screening the movie. So, I mean, it's, it's on lock and key, man. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Don't ever be that guy who spoils a big movie for, (laughs) and that's message for everyone else too. Don't be that person who spoils the ending for everyone else. No one likes that person. Don't don't be that guy. No, nobody at all. So, I was even strategic about people that I let in uh, just to make sure it was people that wouldn't be silly and go out and start tweeting about it or even bragging about it in a way that could come across the wrong way uh, prematurely. So, but wish you could come, man. If you, if you lived a little bit closer, you would definitely be <laughs> uh, That'd be a heck of a drive actually, but to see Spider-Man early, eh, maybe. <laughs> it's a heck of a road trip, but you know, it's been a while actually since I got the chance to actually do that. I've been across the country twice now, so mm, you never know. You never know. <laughs> you, hey man, if you if you get brave enough to to drive across the country, let me know, man. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So we talked about some of the new things in terms of like dealing with folks, but in terms of like music, what was new about this song for you? Getting in the character, because I wanted to, my music's always been real. Like, it's always been 
my life story and and I'm I'm big big at like okay I want to tell my testimony my story be real but for this it actually required a little acting because my approach was way different it wasn't oh I'm digging through Deshaun's mind childhood past relationship whatever it was like okay I got I have this piece of information I have to be Spider-Man because the only way that I'm going to convey this message accurately with the passion that I want to convey it with is I got to make people feel in my mind, like they're hearing the thoughts of, of uh, Tom, like they're, 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 I'm in his head and they're really experiencing this battle with him. So I was in actor mode, man. And how was that for you playing, playing the part of the superhero? Man, you should have seen me. I, I wish you could actually see this video, but like, I was recording and I was either like even doing like the like the Spider-Man, like I was shooting stuff. I was like dropping low, like I was like really jumping off of a building. It was the crazy, craziest recording session ever. Oh my god. <laughs> my wife would have came down and saw me like crawling around and jumping at the mic. She would have been like, Man, my husband is going crazy. Yeah. What the hell is going on here? <laughs> I'm exactly. being Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. So it was way different in that regard because uh, it was acting for me. Uh, it had nothing to do with my life. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> unless it secretly does, <laughs> secretly, <Unless it's> secretly. <laughs> <laughs> by day, music producer. By night, <laughs> vengeful spirit. Nobody knows, man. I'm the real Spider-Man. You just don't know it yet. Oh, okay. I can totally see it. I'm trying to keep that under wraps, man. You probably shouldn't be talking about it on a podcast then. Oh, man. I just told on myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, all your enemies are going to know where you live, what you look like. It's over, dude. Sorry. (laughs) Hey, you know, man, Peter Parker never quite seemed to handle this, so don't don't you know feel so bad? He's constantly screwing that one up. Yeah, I mean Tom, Tom Holland, he's always dropping stuff he's not supposed to. I was surprised that he was able to keep his mouth quiet for this movie and not tell any spoilers because usually he's, he's known for telling stuff that Ooh. he shouldn't tell. So. Come on, Tom. Come on, dude. Yeah, man. All right. Yeah, like the last two movies or something, he's he's dropped stuff that they didn't want him to drop. So. Tom, come on, buddy. Maybe, maybe, maybe they took his Twitter this time. They're like, we're going to take your Twitter. <laughs> Give us your phone. You don't need it. <laughs> You'll get it back after the 17th. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So so we talked earlier about how your music is usually based on your life. It's very real and honest. And listening to the rest of your work, I definitely get that vibe. Um, has that always like been your approach, though? Yeah, it, it had to because like I grew up like I grew up very poor. I grew up in a gang infested environment, saw people get killed, stepped over dead bodies, almost got killed as a kid riding through the middle of a gunfight. So the reason why I started writing music was to convey what I was feeling inside my pain. Um, and when I, when I first started rapping, it's funny, I was 12 years old. And, and all my music sounded like gangster rap. And uh, it's because that's the only thing I knew to talk about. I seen it in my family. I seen it when I went to school, out the door. 
Uh, and I remember uh, creating, not really creating this a persona, but but that actually became who I was. Uh, and I think some of it was influences from the neighborhood. Some of it was living up, I guess, to the persona that I had created. But the reality is that was my environment. And instead of like stepping out doing something different, I think me rapping like that as I matured and got older, I kind of became a product of my environment instead of doing something different. And I felt like as an artist, uh, to be real, I had to really live what I was talking about. And it was easy to do that when you got the drugs being peddled in your face, your family's drug dealers, you've been raised by drug dealers. So I kind of embraced that. Um, and I became, the, I guess, uh, looking back, actually, I became the character I created, if, if you will, as a 12-year-old, though, you know. So never that's, that's, that's a new revelation for me right now. I've never even thought about that. But, yeah. Huh. Wow. I was like the hood Spider-Man. The ba- I was more like Venom, though. I was Venom. <laughs> I was definitely the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man but which venom there are so many ah uh, man i don't know i don't know which one i don't know I, I whatever the the worst one was i would say uh the eddie brock venom because if you like if you read his backstory he had a very like abusive childhood he... mm, yeah yeah I, I, I very similar i could actually relate to well, some of that stuff which is strange so yeah man that was um that's how I got started. That's why I, I got started. I had a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of a lot of depression, and I needed to talk about what I was experiencing. And it started out as poetry. I would write poems, and uh, I ended up getting a karaoke machine from a friend, and I got a beat from somebody. It was when we had tapes, man. Some people don't even know about tapes, but we had tapes. I popped it in there. I was able to record my lyrics over top of the, the instrumental and boom, 12, year, 12 years old, recorded my first song called Don't Hate Me. Wow. So, yeah, man. Very, very cool. And it was up from there. It, it, that was it. I, I never stopped after that. I fell in love with, with writing music and, and telling my story, whether it's a story from my perspective of what I'm seeing or what I'm actually living. Mm-hmm. And, and what I found pretty interesting too, is that the story has shifted a lot over the years. Um, listening to the rest of your work, you released before the ceiling falls in 2015, which was a Christian album. And that's yeah. First time I, I've actually heard like her, like a uh, Christian rap. And I gotta say, I really loved that. I'm curious to what drove you into, uh, into the direction of religion Man, this this is gonna be a crazy story, so buckle up. All right, let's do it, man. Let's do it. Uh, it's all true. I, I promise you, it's all true. Some people think it's crazy, but it's true. It was real for me. I experienced it. So I was on the road in 2010, I believe, with Little Wayne, and uh, so 2007, late 2007, almost 2008, we met uh, Birdman, which was. Is Lil Wayne's dad. He calls him his dad. They were pulled over in Kingsport, Tennessee, which is uh, close to my hometown, like within probably 20 minutes away from Johnson City. Uh, at that time, we were neighborhood drug dealers. I was still hustling, the rap hustler, all that. And uh, 
somehow we had a mutual connection. We, uh, their tour bus got pulled over um, coming through uh, Kingsport. They had guns, they had dope, they had all kinds of drugs on there. So they stuck their whole team in jail, like 15 of them went to jail. And we had a connection. So we were able to bail Brian Williams Birdman out of jail or, or put him in a place to get him out of jail so that he could get the rest of his team out of jail. Because in Tennessee, uh, when you have drug charges, you're not allowed to bail out. You can't bond yourself out. You have to have somebody get you out of jail on drug charges. So we, I, from my understanding, the connection came through one of my friends who had a friend who happened to be in there with Brian and put in a good word for us. So this is my understanding that that's how uh, my team got him out of jail. And from there, it kind of formed like a, a family type relationship. Brian said, y'all are family now. So they started inviting us everywhere. They, they flew us out uh, to the All-Star game in New Orleans. That was the first thing we ever went out and done with them. I actually didn't go on that trip, but some of my team did. Uh, and then Lil Wayne dropped his biggest album in 2008, The Carter Three, where he had his lollipop single, all kinds of massive records. T-Pain was all on the album. That's, that's when he was at the pinnacle of his career. And uh, so we got to go on the Carter Three tour that lasted all, a couple years, really. Uh, and that was where I got to be developed as an artist. So I wasn't signed to cash money but I did have a developing agreement with one of the managers. His name was Greg Green. And they molded us, shaped us, uh, taught us how to do marketing, taught us how to, how to be artists, how to perform. And we got to watch the best. Like Lil Wayne is hands down one of the best performers in the world. If you've never seen him, his shows is out of this world. So we learned from him. So during that journey, had to give you the backstory for it all to make sense. So during that journey, you know, I was still selling drugs, still, you know, doing what rappers do. Um, and I had these VIP passes in my hand. I think we were in like Charlotte or Greensboro, North Carolina. And I was looking for girls, um, again, to do what rappers do. And, um, dude, I was standing in the middle of this arena. And the only way I can describe what happened was I was frozen and it was like, I thought I was dead, bro. Like I, I'm looking up at my life play before my face, literally. Like I saw myself as a, as a kid. I saw myself in vacation Bible school. Then it fast forwarded to a time where I was like 21 years old, smoking dope. Um, and I, I remember picking up the Bible when I was 21 and it looked like the words were just breathing on the page. And I threw the Bible and freaked out. Like I saw that in this movie clip, whatever you want to call it. And then it brought me back to where I was. And it was like just a snap of a finger. I woke up and it felt like something, an entity was standing on top of my head and I couldn't move. It was like I was being pushed into the ground and the sound of the arena made my heart feel like it was going to explode. Fear overcame me and I started to freak out. Finally, I could move. And uh, it was just something in that moment that shifted. And I said, okay, that was a divine experience. I have to find out if there is a God, like really a God. And if there is a God, 
who do I believe to be God? Who is my God? Because something bigger than me just took over me. And um, from that very day, I left the amphitheater, went back home, stopped doing music, man. I, I hung out, uh, moved back into my old house with my family, and I stayed in a room for one year. I kid you not. Like, I, Of course, I would leave to go play basketball, eat some food, hang out a little bit. But I come back to that room, and all I did, I read the Bible, I read the Quran, I read through all these different things, just searching. I, I wanted to know truth, like, who is my God? Who am I going to subscribe to as God? And by the end of that time, more weird stuff started happening, like crazy dreams. Um, I'd start seeing things happen in my dreams, and then they would happen in, in the real world. And I, I just started to get so freaked out. And finally, I ended up bumping into this pastor. Uh, his name's Jeff Oaks. And he was explaining to me that what was going on is something from a biblical standpoint is called prophetic dreaming. It's a, a gift that God gives to people, uh, some of his servants. And some people uh, would call it uh, telepathy or uh, not telepathy, but uh, what's the premonitions or there's different names for it. But he, he showed me through scripture uh, what it was and what was happening. And he pointed to different times in the Bible where other people had this same experience that I was having. Paul being one on the road to Damascus uh, in the New Testament. And for me, man, it was just that moment as I read through the Bible and sat down with him. And, and weighed out my options and, and, and studied all the texts um, of different religions, that just felt real to me. And that's what moved my soul, moved my spirit to commit my life to becoming a Christian and following Christ. And um, yeah, that, that's how it happened. So, I mean, I didn't even do music for still after that. That was 2012 when I finally made the decision like okay I'm, I'm going to follow God um, who I believe to be God and uh, it wasn't until 2012 that I even started having an idea of doing music again I didn't do it I ended up going off to work at a Christian camp and just kind of learning how to be a Christian how to serve other people a uh, lot of lot of challenges um, and I went through this process of schooling and training and ministry for like three years, man. And then in 2015, that's when I finally picked the mic, like really picked the mic back up, not just doing songs here and there and committed myself to doing the album. And that was my first Christian album. So. Wow. 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 Crazy. Wow. Crazy, crazy. So, I, I mean, even right now, like, so a lot of people don't consider me a, a Christian artist. Uh, people know I'm a Christian. Uh, I have obviously done one Christian album, but based on the true story, uh, it's what I would call Christian worldview. Like, I, I've, it, it's geared toward the mainstream. It's stuff that would play on the radio with your Cardi B's or with uh, Migos or Drake's or any of the other rappers. However, uh, I'm staying true to who I am. I, I don't cuss uh, in my music. 
Um, I don't portray, no longer do I portray characters that aren't real. Um, and I, I just stay true to who I am, a married man who loves his kids, who deals with depression, who deals with battling my faith even now, uh, seven years in uh, as a Christian, still the struggle. You see things like kids dying of cancer, my, watching my mom, my grandma, who raised me, die of cancer. And, and little kid, Nick Cannon's son, five months old, dying. I still have these battles like, God, like, if you're good, like, I mean, how can this be good? And I know, like, from a Christian point, it's like, okay, he's in control. He's got this. But I'm human, bro. And I, it makes me ask those, ask those questions. Like, if you're good, why did Nick Cannon just lose his five-month-old baby? Like, what happened? to that baby uh, did he deserve that how could he deserve that so I'm wrestling through all these things in my mind and I'll, I'll be honest it's a battle but I, I you know I press in every day and I keep the faith and I, I I look up to the sky and open my bible and say look at the end of this journey when I get there I pray that I made the right decision and I pray that as I stand before you it all makes sense and you make it make sense because I don't understand you, God. That's my perspective on Christianity right now. I'll, I'll be honest. So, and I think <laughs> that's a very realistic viewpoint too. You know, because I deal with the same things. Um, you know, I lost my mom in twenty in twenty sixteen, and the question that came to me is, why is my mother, who is like one of the who is like the best person I've ever known, why does she have to pass away, and my piece of shit father is still alive? Figure yeah, that yeah. one out, <laughs> bro. Say, well, literally, like, love my granddad. I'll tell you that my granddad. I was raised and adopted by my grandparents. My granddad stepped up. I'll, I'll give him. I'll give respect where respect's due. My granddad raised twelve, uh, nine kids. Yeah, nine kids that wasn't his. Plus me. Plus my sister. I mean, he stepped in and done his thing. But the reality is. He was an abuser. I also watched him knock my grandmother out cold multiple times. I remember being 12 years old in a car chasing him because she caught him cheating with other women. I'm like, should be getting ready for school. I'm in the freezing cold while he's making us chase him through the city. Like, you're a piece, that's a piece of crap. You know what I'm saying? So for me, uh, it's, it's that, that wrestle. When she passed away, I'm like, Man, this lady spent her whole life serving everybody. It was just great. And here he is. I mean, he's still alive. I love him. I love him. He's still alive. And it's, if I'm being transparent and being real, even as I go sit with him and hug him and, and love on him, it's still that thing that's like, my grandma should be the one here. And it's again, it's back to that, God, why, why was it her first? So yeah, it's 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 a sensitive topic for me, but it, this is good for me talking about it and 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 hearing that you have, are also experiencing the same thing. So it's it's good. It's just therapy. Exactly, exactly. The therapy hour with Max Bowen. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure we could spend the next like seven hours talking about faith and what it means to be a Christian today. But the thing that I, I was actually curious about is when it comes to your faith being in your music, 
why why share your faith in your music? Why do you feel the need to put your faith out there in your work? You know, it, it's for me, it's conviction. Like, for, let's go back to scripture. Like, so for for some people, one would argue that drinking is a sin. Why why would drinking be a sin for some people? Not for me. I'll be honest. My wife and I we drink wine. We have mixed drinks. I don't deal no longer deal with alcoholism. I've been set free, free from that. But for some people that I'm good friends with, it's a conviction to them to drink. They were convicted to a point from God where they're like, you know what? I can't do that. We know it's not a sin to drink because if if we believe Jesus is the Savior, then and he was perfect and didn't sin, then man, he was one drinking mug. That means, dude, we're all screwed. Cause, cause he sinned a whole lot in his ministry. You know what I mean? If that's the case, so we know it's not a sin inherently, but yeah. so it's one of those things for me. All that to say, for me, it's a conviction. You know, I I read that passage that said, "If you deny me before man, I will deny you in heaven." And you know, it's nothing for me to give a token of my music to say, "Hey, you know what? Every one or two albums or." This album, I'm going to dedicate this to the Lord. Why not? Like He saved me. I believe that he's working through me, and he can use this music not only, um, not only to, for, for my spirit, but also to minister to a whole group of people that my mainstream music can't even touch. So it's like I can't just be about one, one group. Like I think that my job as a man and trying to be a man of faith is to a reach the sick, reach the people, be love, be light, be a, a genuine friend. That's not somebody in the industry with a handout just waiting for somebody to give me money. Or, or yeah, that's that's not my mentality. Like I genuinely have been building relationships in the industry, and I've never asked any friends of mine that are celebrity status for a dime because it's not about that. I want them to know. Dude, you got a genuine friend. I will give you the shirt off my back. I just want to see you succeed. Whatever that looks like, I'm here for you. So that's my mentality. On the flip side of that, there's people in the church who like to be taught through music. They like to hear, you know, Christian hip hop. And I have the ability to do it. So it's like, why not? They need encouragement too, in a different way. So while I would encourage these people through doing a more, what I would say, biblically sound music, teaching scripture and Christian message in that music, they get edified, they get encouraged. On this side of the coin, there's people who simply need to be told, hey, you matter. They need positivity. They need to be uplifted because the music industry is so dark. Everybody's killing somebody. Everybody's popping drugs, popping pills. Somebody, I mean, it's all the same crap. And like, there's the standard that, like my life, like you have to live this way because this is hip hop culture. So you got to fit in. So my message is no, 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 no. You don't have to fit in. You don't have to run with the crowd. You don't have to do pills because your friends doing pills. You don't have to do anything anybody's doing. You're your own person. You have a brain. Make your own decisions, bro. So that's what I bring to the mainstream. Just a voice of reason reasoning, just talking to people and building genuine relationships to help people 
try to make their own decisions because the music industry is a monster, bro. It really is. And it, and it, it seeks to control. It seeks to steal identity. Uh, and it, it, <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. It's, it's, it's awful. So these people, there's a lot of people, some of the most miserable people I've met are millionaires, super rich, super wealthy, super famous, and they still feel empty and can't even call somebody a genuine friend because everybody has a handout. They're paying for their friendships, and that sucks, bro. I couldn't imagine living a life not having a single real person. So that's my mission is to be a real friend to anybody I meet in the music industry, at the grocery store. I want people to see, hey, nobody else might not care about you, but I'm going to do my best to have a genuine place for you in my heart and just give you the truth. So that's my goal. That's what I do. I like that. I really do. I like that. Uh, does that message continue on with Based on a True Story, which will be released uh, later on next year? Yes. Based on a True Story is, is again, it, it's more mainstream. But what you see in Based on a True Story is is a lot of what we're talking about right now. You see this, this beautiful struggle. So it, it tells a whole story from start to finish. The album starts out talking about my granny. Uh, first song on the album after the intro is called A Nickel Bag of Faith. And it's talking about being raised on drugs and how my grandma, she she was a, at one point was a drug dealer but would pray every single night to God to bless her and to take care of our family and to keep us alive. And I watched her do this. Every night we would pray. So I got my faith from her, even though some would look at her and be like, oh, she wasn't really living it. She was living it enough to inspire me to pray to, you know, uh, and so that's where the song starts. It goes into my adulthood, my marriage, and then marriage becoming, man, I don't know if you're married, but marriage is a whole nother level of issues. Like, so we're, we're talking about two people becoming one, living in the same space and like, I'm way different from my wife. I have different habits from her. So our first year was our worst year, bro. Like we hated each other. Like it was so, I, I'll be honest. Like the honeymoon was over after like three months when we started living. Oh my gosh, it was bad. We fought all the time. I started drinking again. I started drinking just to kind of ease the, the stress. I didn't want to fight. And I got to a point to where I was like, this is ministry. I'm in ministry at this point. I'm just being real with y'all. I'm in ministry at this point, fighting my wife. She's yelling at me. We're cussing and screaming at each other. I'm like, F it. I don't want you no more. I'm leaving. Pack my bags, throwing my stuff out the door. Like, Pat, she's calling my our lead pastor. I mean, this is what the album's about. I'm being real and raw. So it's it's both and. It's definitely not a Christian album, per se, but it's a good merge of where you see my faith. It, it is Christian worldview, for sure. You see the struggle. Um, it, and, but it's not the Christian album where, oh, John 36 and blah, 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 and I'm focused. 
It's nothing like that. It's like, okay, look, I'm going to give the world what it really looks like to be a believer. I'm not going to do this fake junk like my marriage is perfect and everything's fine and we don't cuss and we don't drink and we don't fight. This, this, And that's real for some, some people, but for me it's not. So I'm not going to portray the character anymore that is not real. So, that dude, you get it all. You get the fights with the wives. You get the the drinking. You get, ah, man. But you also get the redemption at the end to where the whole album just shifts. And it goes from my pain, my depression, my, 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 my substance abuse to, okay, I finally made it through. God is broken through. The light has shined in. I am free. Praise the Lord. So you get all that through this project, man. It's, it's beautiful. It it's really is my finest work of art. And I don't say that lightly. I've been working on this for two years. Wow. Yeah. Jeez, two years. Unbelievable. Two years I've been working on it. Given that you're sharing so much, you know, the highs and the lows, did you ever balk at this? Did you ever think, hmm, maybe I shouldn't tell this part of it? Maybe I should leave this part out because it's so personal? No, uh, no. And, and the reason why um, is because I, I don't talk about in marriage, if, if you don't want to kill each other, you, you got to have this mutual kind of agreement and understanding of what's acceptable and what's not. When Bethany, my wife, married me, she knew that I was, I've always been an open book. I'm in my messages when I was traveling and preaching a lot. I've always just, I know that my pain, like why would I keep what God has brought me through, no matter how terrible it may sound, why would I keep that to myself knowing that somebody might be sitting there that needs to hear what I was brought through. That to me, that's selfish. So I try my best to just give my friends, my family, the world, all of me that I can possibly give in hopes that the seeds will land on in a good place to take root in somebody's heart to say, you know what, if Deshaun made it out of that, if God helps him through that, he can do it for me and, and inspire. That's the whole album is about inspiring people. To the, 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 it takes that shift to inspire. It's like, yeah, you deal with depression. Yeah, you've lost your grandma to cancer. Yeah, all this. Yeah, I was molested as a kid. Okay, a lot of terrible things happened to me, but I don't have to be defined by what happened to me in the past because I have a future. I have a future and that's what I'm looking toward. I have the present and I have a lot of things to be thankful for now. And even though that was hurtful then, that doesn't have to be the narrative to define how I live the rest of my life. And so the message behind the album, all the marketing is to inspire the brokenhearted and help dreamers dream again. That's what I want to do. That's my mission as an artist, period. Let's take a look back to when you first began in rap. You're 12 years old. You were rapping about what you saw, the gangs, the drugs, and now the you in the here and now. Do you see 
these two people as distinctly different? I do. I, I see the old man as a di- like. It, it's so cra- It's so crazy, Max. I mean, it's crazy. Like, I see the old person as a dead. Like, I look at like the way I dress, the way I speak, the way I act, the way I think. It's so like drastically different. I'm talking polar ends of the spectrum. One Deshaun is, hey, grab a pistol. Oh, you said this? All right, F you. I'm going to grab my pistol. Or are we going to go fight? That's the first thing I'm going to do. Like, I'm running out the door, like, let's fight. Let's blah, blah, blah. You looked at me wrong. You stepped on my shoe for crying out loud. Like, just a crazy psychopath I used to be. Seriously, I was crazy. To, to me now, it's like, man, I literally will look at a photo album from my darkest moments. And it's like, man, I, I don't even know who I'm looking at. It really feels like I don't know who I'm looking at because I can go back to those moments and memories and I'm like, golly, I was that person? Wow, you know, woo. So, yeah, I would say, man, I, I'm, a, I'm a completely new, different person. Um, and, and I've had to share that with a lot of people because, I mean, when you're a shady character, you do shady things. <laughs> so there's a lot of people that I did shady things to. And I, my fear was always like, yo, I'm going to grow up. I'm going to have, I'm going to mature. I'm going to have life. I'm going to have kids. And one of these jokers that I don't put my pistol to his face and, or we threw him through a glass or something. One of the many crazy things we did is going to come back. He's going to kill me. And what if I'm with my wife? And what if I'm with my son? What if I have to deal with the consequences for my actions years later? So one thing I did when I became a Christian is I started, I went through this book called, I think it was like a Beta Satan or something like that. It was by John Bevere. And I was so convicted about all the people, women that I, slept with, with no intentions of, of, of being with, lied to him. Like, I literally went back and I started calling all my enemies. I reached out to everybody that I could physically, mentally think that I hurt, I did wrong, I fought, and I shared this story. I shared what God did for me like I just shared it with you. And I told them, man, I am sorry for being that guy. That's not who I am now. If you can forgive me, man, I would be honored and it would bless my soul. So that way I know that if I'm receiving this forgiveness, I no longer now have to look over my shoulders. I called everybody that I did wrong. We're good. Ah, that's in the past. So, man, that's. That was one of the best decisions I, I ever made was to call and make amends with people I hurt. Oh, definitely. Definitely, man. Yeah. Th- th- those must have been some hard uh, conversations. Now, you mentioned that the people were, were all like, yeah, we're good. It's in the past. No worries. But did you have any difficult ones or people saying, you know, oh, I remember you from like 20 years ago. I haven't forgotten this. You know what? I, look, look, man. <laughs> I got one person. What look, bro? I, when I I can tell you some of the stuff that I've done, 
you probably make your heads. I got one, two people that still hate me to this day. They don't believe me. They think I'm a fraud. And I'm it's these two women. Uh they're a couple, they're married. And so back in the days, my homeboy used to sell shoes. So these two photographers, these ladies, they took a photo, they did a photo shoot for me. And the deal was I was supposed to get them like three or four pairs of shoes, which I could get at a relatively like like inexpensive price because my friend was getting them shipped over. And um, he went to jail or got in trouble or his connect went bad. And I, I went broke, you know, at that point I went broke. My drug dealing connect got locked up. I had no income, no money. And so I couldn't get her those five pairs of shoes that I was going to have to pay like three, four, five hundred dollars for. And uh, like, I mean, probably four years ago. I mean, we're talking, dude, this was years ago. Like when this was like probably 2000 and this is before cash money, bro. 2004. I saw this lady four years ago in the mall, bro. I heard somebody screaming, he's a fraud. I turn around and there she is. She's like, Deshaun White? Deshaun White? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, my heart's pounding at this point. And I was with a group of friends and she's like, don't trust him. Never trust him. He's a fraud. He robbed us. And I'm like, I, at first, I didn't realize who it was. And then I looked, and I'm like, oh, that's the lady. Oh, And I, at this point, I mean, I got money now. I got plenty of money now. So I could have handed her $400 right there. But she she was, like, not having it. Didn't even give me the chance to apologize and ask for forgiveness. And she straight up left them all screaming, just manifesting some Man, anger for sure, for sure. So that's the only person I could think that wants to beat me up. So I watch out for her because I don't want to get beat up by two ladies. You know what I'm saying? I, that'd be embarrassing for my career. What, what am I going to do? Punch her? I can't punch a woman. So I'm going to have to let these two ladies beat me up. So now I'm good. <laughs> I wow. literally run if I see them. I run full speed. I will be like, okay, I'm out of here. Don't blame me. I'd probably do the exact same thing. <laughs> And I look, and I want to reach out to them. Like I, I, I honest to God, I, I don't even remember their names. I don't know how to reach out to them. Um, their photo studio isn't downtown anymore. I tried to go down there. Uh, it's not there. Uh, I would love to give them four hundred five. I'll give them a thousand dollars if they, which the photo shoot was only worth a couple hundred. I'll give them whatever they want if it will bring them at peace. Uh, bring them peace, but. Yeah. You can't control what some folks are going to do. Some folks are going to hold those grudges for years and years to come. And uh, that's their choice. You know, that's how they want to live. That's how they want to live. So where do you go from here? I mean, like this album, like you said, this is like your best work to date. This seems to sort of encompass your entire life, your struggles. What's next? I mean, like really, where do you go from there? Honestly, great question. I don't know. I have a, a few things that's going to be fun. 
and maybe you can help me with this one. I'm sure you talk to uh, a bunch of artists and stuff, but I have a couple more things that I'm going to be doing. I don't know how many more rap um, projects. As you know, Control is not a rap. It's more of a pop with a rap flair. So you're kind of seeing a, a, a picture of where I'm headed. Um, so I don't know how many more rap rap albums I'm going to do, like solid, like this is a rap album. My plans, these are my plans. It could be different. Uh, God is funny. But my plans is to put out Based on the True Story. After Based on the True Story comes out, uh, I would do one more Christian project, rap project, because it's been requested for me to do another Christian rap project. And then, honestly, I have a band in the works called The Ocean's Chest. And it's a collective of pop, rap, um, R&B, a um, little bit of folk. It's just a collective of musicians uh, and artists from all over the nation coming together to, to make a new sound, to create just a new sound. Like, I mean, you might hear pop on the track mixed with a little bit of rap. You might hear something that, that feels more rockish. And, and I mean, it's, it's going to be an amazing collective. It's called The Ocean's Chest. So that's going to be probably what in the next couple of years where I start to focus my time and energy and what I'm going to start building up. So that would be a band that I'm going to be building up. And then I also have an experimental project that I'm going to do that is going to be super fun, which is also a segue to going to do that full time. So it's going to be a project where I've been challenged with the task of creating an album that has all of the most of the major genres on it. And I have to write, a, write, record, and sing a country song. I have to write, record, and do a pop, an R&B, uh, a Christian contemporary slash gospel song. Uh, I got to do a rap song. And I believe there was one more. Maybe that was all the genres. There's one more. But I was like, I'm up for the challenge. I'm going to do it. I'm going country for at least one song. So basically, the writing the songs not the challenge. I, I've written country songs. I've written all types of music. I'm a songwriter more than I am anything. The task is making it all feel like it belongs together. So it's a, not just a compilation. The task is to make it feel like it's telling a story and all those genres belong on one project. So right now I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do to tie everything together? Is it going to be the singing or am I going to add a piece of a flair of rap to everything just to kind of make it all more cohesive? Uh, so I don't know. I, I'm working on strategy for that. I'll take some ideas if you got any. Oh, I can I can give you a, f a few ideas. I can give you a few. <laughs> Can't say they're actually good ideas, but they are ideas. That's where we're going. All right, man. Well, Deshaun, this has been such a fun conversation. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed, of course, Control, folks. Out right now. Check it out. But please check out the rest of the music. There's so many cool stories being shared. I definitely look forward to Based on a True Story. And, folks, if you... Haven't already go up. I uh, go to imdeshawnwhite.com. You'll find everything you need there, all the links. And Deshaun, we'll be talking very soon.
it has been real. Again, thank you so much for having me on. And hopefully, uh, based on a true story, comes out in April. At least that's when it's scheduled to come out with the distribution company. And uh, when that releases, maybe I'll come back and we'll talk based on the true story. I look forward to that. This is your girl, Lady V, host of the V-Line, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout. Okay, everyone, that brings this episode to a close. Big thanks to Deshaun for joining me. And seriously, folks, check out his music. It is amazing stuff. You can follow the show on Facebook under Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram under Citywide Max. Get at me at citywidemax at yahoo.com and check out the show wherever you find your podcasts, as well as every Saturday at 10 p.m. on Boston Free Radio. To close things out, I've got the new single, Control, a tribute to Spider-Man No Way Home. As always, keep those ears open. When the day goes and the night comes